It's a, we begin today on a series through the Sermon on the Mount. It is a, a, a rich, rich passage of scripture that will take us a while to get through. That's why I'm saying it's going to be the focus of most of the year for our our messages. We're going to read the first three verses of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 1 to 3, and also listen to Jesus reflect upon these verses in in a little bit different way in John 15, 1 to 9, as we prepare to hear this God's word together. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come together today not only to respond to the work that you have done in our lives, but also seeking to experience more. And so together we pray, Father, bless us with your spirit. Work in us here and now through your word, the scalpel that brings healing to us that removes from us the cancerous growths of sin, work in our hearts as we hear and are given to understand what your word means for us here in this world today. Father, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, from Matthew 5, verses 1 to 3. Now when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then from the Gospel of John, the first nine verses of chapter 15, Jesus speaks, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he trims clean so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Going to read 
three different passages of scripture here as we start. And I want you to listen to what they have in common. The first is 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, where Paul writes in summary at the end of this, his first letter, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. The second comes from Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The third from Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 to 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand. So what is it that they all have in common? Apart from them all being written by Paul. What's that? Standing firm in faith. They all come at the end of a letter that Paul has written, and they all say essentially one of the same things. Stand. Stand. Stand firm in faith. Like any good slogan, that bit of advice, those words have an undeniable motivational drive to them. At least they do for me. I, I reach the end and I, I, can, I can picture Paul sitting down or actually the person that read the letter, first of all, to the congregation of the, or the gathering of the faithful. I can see, kind of picture myself there hearing, the, hearing them read for the first time, stand, stand, be strong, be courageous, stand firm and after you have done everything and regardless of all the stuff that is raging around you stand and there's something that stirs in me and i want to say yes i will stand i will be strong i will be courageous that kind of resolve is fitting given what jesus says about how important standing firm in faith is in Matthew 5, verses 13 to 18, Jesus tells his disciples that our standing, the standing of God's faithful in this world, is one of the main tools that God uses to impact people around us. Let your light shine, Jesus says, so that all people will see, and in seeing, they will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This illuminating shining in the world is one of the main reasons God enlightens our hearts with the gospel in the first place. As Jesus said earlier, no one lights a lamp to put it under a basket. You light a lamp so that it will glow, so that it will bring light to the darkness. His point is that 
we, all of those who are called by Christ and redeemed by him, who were saved by him, were saved to glow. We were saved to shine. We were saved to blaze. We were saved so this little light of mine would shine with God's truth and goodness and grace and power and love. It is fitting, therefore, that when we hear Paul say, my people, stand, stand with strength and stand with courage that we feel a stirring in our hearts to do that. But how do we do that? How do we stand? What do we stand for? Or more simply, who are we called to be in this world? To help us gain insight into those issues, we're going to sit down this year with Jesus' disciples and listen to him preach from the mountain that he climbed in order to speak to his disciples in a deep and personal way. In this, what is called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus paints for all of his disciples the clearest and most succinct picture of what standing for him looks like. Here in Matthew chapters five to seven, is what John calls the most complete description anywhere in the New Testament of the Christian counterculture. The reason Stott labels Christianity, the, the church, a countercultural thing, is because that is really the only conclusion that you can reach, that you can come to, if you listen to what Jesus says throughout his sermon. Repeatedly, he says things like, you have heard it said, but I say, and do not be like, and do not look like. The overarching conclusion that you come to after reading the sermon is that Christianity, the group of people who follow Jesus as Savior and Lord, are indeed called to be countercultural. They are called to be different than the world, which is the essential definition of countercultural. Paul in Romans 12, 2 summarizes the essence of this sermon writing, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't fit in anymore. Don't strive to fit in with the world around you anymore. That's not who you are. You have been remade, reborn, made into a new creation. Therefore, live out your countercultural identity. Be different. Stand differently in this world. Stand for different things. Stand in different ways. Stand with courage. Stand with strength. Stand for and stand with God. Now, before describing how his disciples are called to be different in the world around us, 
Jesus begins to teach us about how we are called to be different in the world inside of us. Standing in faith, it seems, is first a matter of heart and mind and will. The citizens of God's kingdom are driven by unique motives. The citizens of God's kingdom think about things differently, and they think about different things. Citizens of God's kingdom are governed by a different will than the citizens of this world. The differences, as we listen to Jesus begin to preach, begin in the most personal way possible with what we believe about ourselves. Now, before I go any further, let me first of all point to what this word blessed means as Jesus uses it here in the Beatitudes. It's one of the words that's repeated again, right? Through the first eight eight Beatitudes. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. What does blessed mean? Sometimes blessed can be used as an adjective and translated as happy. And in some places that fits. But that translation does not fit here. Jesus is not telling us how people are feeling when they are, for example, today, poor in spirit. Rather, Jesus is using the word in an evaluative sense to tell his disciples what God thinks of people who are characterized by the qualities he names in the Beatitudes. Another way of saying blessed could be Good and right and true are all those who are. Let me take you to Matthew 16, verse 17 real quick to help you see what I'm talking about. The setting is this. Jesus has taken his disciples. They've gone off to Caesarea Philippi. He sat down with them and he asked them, so, hey, guys, what are people saying about me? And they answer, well, some think you're Elijah. Some think you're John the Baptist. And then he asks, what about you? What do you say? Who do you, who do you think I am? And Simon is the one who answers. And do you remember what he says? You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And, and how does Jesus respond to Peter, to Simon Peter at that, with that answer? He said, blessed are you, Peter. Blessed are you. It's the same word that Jesus uses here in Matthew, throughout Matthew, in the first few verses of Matthew 5. Blessed are you. Jesus isn't saying to Peter, oh, man, you're a happy guy. No, he's not saying how, he's not telling Peter how he feels. He is rather evaluating the truth that is in Peter. And he is saying, and blessed are you, Peter's son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but the spirit who comes from my father in heaven. He is saying, good and right and true are you, Peter. You are, he is evaluating. And I believe that's the same way that Jesus is using the word blessed here in the Beatitudes. He is evaluating. He's using it in an evaluative sense, saying, in essence, right and good and true are those who, today, who are poor in spirit. 
bright and good and true are those who know, really know how powerless they are in themselves. Bright and good and true are those who know how spiritually bankrupt and helpless they are in God's sight. Right and good and true are those who know how morally unclean we are in God's sight. Who know how unworthy we are. Who know how desperate we are for God's grace and mercy in presence. Who know their poverty. How impoverished we really are. Who know this. And instead of running away from that awareness or trying to deny it. They embrace it as the truth. And who because of that. Turn and entrust themselves to the one who is everything that we are not. Blessed are those right and good and true are those who know that we are poor. Who know that we need someone who is not us. Do you do feel odd and perhaps even offensive that first statement of who we are called to be is? Jesus is saying, let me say it again. Jesus is saying good and right and true are those who know that they bring nothing to the table. And not only who know that, but who accept that about themselves. (laughs) I don't know about you, but that flies in the face of what part of me wants to believe about myself. I don't want to think of myself as powerless and bankrupt and unworthy. I want to believe that I'm good and I'm strong and I'm wise. I bring a lot to the table, no matter what situation I find myself in. I don't want to look in the mirror and feel bad about myself. I want to look in the mirror and feel good about myself. Then there is the. The, the little matter of needing others, that doesn't sit right with me. Oh, I like to be needed, right? I like other people to say to me, I need you. But I don't like to say the same to anyone else. I want to believe that I am capable of taking care of my life on my own. If I am as impoverished as Jesus says, I can't escape the fact that I need to rely on someone else. And that sticks in my craw, so to speak. Plus, This bit about being poor in spirit goes against pretty much everything I've been taught to think. Whether in school or whether through uh, 
the, the messages that come through different media outlets and social through society around me, I've been taught that I should love myself. I've been taught that I am supposed to believe in myself. I've been taught to trust myself, to follow my heart, to be true to the beauty that's inside of me. I've been taught that the way to life is found in believing that I am good enough and I am smart enough and that doggone it, people like me. For those Saturday Saturday Night Live fans around, I am good enough and I am smart enough and doggone it, people like me. Wisdom from Stuart Smalley. At the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus lays a very foundation, a very different foundation for life. The world says we find life by believing in the good and celebrating the good and following the good that is inside us. Jesus says, no, no, that is not the way to life. Life, true life that we were created to experience is not to be is not to be had in believing that we are good enough and strong enough and wise enough. It isn't found in being independent and believing we are able to take care of ourselves. And it isn't experienced in loving yourself and believing in yourself. True love is or true life is found in knowing and embracing the depth of our poverty. And then in turning to the one who is everything we are not. True life is found in knowing and embracing the depth of our poverty. Why? Because it's only when we know and embrace our true poverty that we will do what we have to do to be alive. It is only when I know that I have nothing inside of me that I am willing to repent, to turn back to the one who is everything I am not. It is only when I embrace what's true about my internal condition that I will do what Jesus tells us to do in John 15, 1 to 9. Do you remember what he said? We are, we are, are we the vines? Do we have life flowing through us? No. We are the branches. We are the ones who have no life in us unless we are in him unless we abide in him unless we remain in him in fact jesus goes so far as to say until we or unless we abide in him we can do nothing strong words that put the matter very very bluntly Life is not found in believing and embracing and in celebrating the good in me. 
Life is found in knowing how impoverished I am. And because of that knowledge, turning to the one who is everything I am not. Turning to the one who is good and right and true and strong and wise. The one who has life in him. If Paul's instructions calling us to stand ring with a stirring sound, this opening of Jesus' sermon on the mount rings first with a somber note. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Right and good and true are those who know how impoverished they are. But although it starts with that somber note, it doesn't end there. It ends with a note of joy. For theirs, Jesus says, is the kingdom of heaven. A strange mix of somber and joy. That I I, I really invite you to, to feel in your heart today. 